0: Hello, welcome to Desert Island Books, a podcast about reading. I'm your host and resident librarian, Natalie Mason, from the Melbourne Library Service. Joining me is a special guest who will share their top three all-time favourite books. Claire Hooper is a comedian, television presenter and writer. She grew up in Perth and attended Curtin University, where she graduated with a degree in theatre studies. Her 2006 comedy festival show, O, earned her both critical acclaim and a nomination for the Best Newcomer Award. A born storyteller with a sharp wit, Claire has gone on to regularly perform at festivals and comedy rooms all over the country. For four years, Claire shared a set with Paul McDermott and Mikey Robbins on the iconic comedy show Good News Week as a team captain. She's also appeared on Rove and the Melbourne Comedy Festival's Great Debate and Opening Night Gala. In 2015, Claire scored a dream job as the co host of the Great Australian Bake Off. Welcome to your desert island, Claire. How
1: are you? <laughs> I'm great, thank you. Um, I left my books in the car, and I just bent my fingernail back outside. But I'm going to be I'm going to be okay. I've got to ask you: Did you bring me anything from the Great Australian Bake Off? Well, you should be glad I didn't, because we wrapped filming in June. So, mm-hmm. um, at the time of recording, it, it'd be a very old cake. We
0: should talk about food now, but I feel like maybe books should also be talked about. And maybe start now?
1: Absolutely. That was but unscripted. Was... How did... Can you tell? How did I go? <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how's this for a segue? Because my first choice yes. is absolutely full of food talk. It is too. All right, here we go. I'm back to the script now. I think we're okay. Yeah.
0: Claire, could you please reveal the title and author of book one?
1: All right. Get your head around this. A Confederacy of Dunces? By John Kennedy Toole. The book cover. It's is, covered in hot dogs. It's just, just hot dogs. This is not the cover I have. I've had a series of covers because I've, I've probably bought the book five times or more. For yourself or gifts? Well, because I loan it to people right. and then I don't. You got to you got to just write it off. You got to write a book loan off. Don't be one of those people with a book played in the front and a follow up text. You just got to let it go. Unless you're a library, then you need to follow up with the books I'm that sorry, you've loaned. i of course, Your, but yours and my policies differ, just yeah. a little bit professionally and personally. No, I mean, I look, I, I say that because I would I would really love to get all of the books back that I've loaned. Uh, when you said, would you like to come on this podcast, what are your three favourite books, I was like, I'll go to my bookshelf and I'll just remind myself. And the reality is all the ones you love are gone because you loan them yeah, and they're gone. And then all the ones you've got are like your second favourite by that author, yeah. right? Yes. yeah, <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And also if you got all the books back that you've loaned out, would they fit in your house? Oh, they would
1: never fit in my house. This, anyway, the, what is the cover of this Confederacy of Dunces, it's a cover... Of, it's just hot dogs. It's just like a wallpaper of hot dog pictures. It's a beautiful I love love it. it's a symmetrical wallpaper pattern. Oh, it's soothingly, um, what would you, uh, yeah, it's. Um, it's a bit alarming when you look at it, really, but the mustard's dripping out. Yeah. So it's not neat, but it's neat. No, it's but lovely. that book
0: is not neat.
1: Please, tell me why. <laughs> you, you'd like me to, so, right, you want me to tell you about how much I love it? Look, Please. so this, the first copy I had was one of those little, um, one of those little orange and white,
0: you oh, know, yeah. like penguin sh- cheapies,
1: got a little pile of them from someone. I think it was from, I think my partner brought a few home from a bookshelf. And we're talking like, I'm in my early twenties and I'm, I've am i always been a big reader and a lover of books, but they've never, until this book, there was never one that stood apart so clearly from the other books. So I just, I wasn't drawn to it from the on the back and I didn't really care from the cover because it was a blank cover. And then one day I just randomly picked it up. and I read the first paragraph and I was just like, "What is this?" I j- like it is so um, it's so grotesque the first paragraph, like it j- all it is is a description of the main character, Ignatius J. Riley who's this big guy, he's a loser, he's around 30 years old and the description of him is full of um, it's such a potent combination of affection and contempt. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it was delicious. Like it's like someone describing a really fatty calorie laden dish in great detail. Like I just, anyway, I'd and, and then you keep reading and you're like, I've, I just had never read anything like it. I was like, I didn't know you were allowed to write books like this yep. f- for reals, but it's so compelling and then it doesn't even wear off, like as in it's almost like the first page is this great punchline. You're like, how hilarious that a book could open like this. And then it just continues to be so silly but so grand at the same time. Anyway, I just, I, I loved it. I've read it a number of times. I've given it to people I care about. Frequently they're like, I hate that book and I'm fine with that. I can still be friends with the person. I just want them to react strongly
0: to it. It is a book that encourages a reaction of some kind, whether it's a strong... I've never known anyone to be like, oh, I didn't mind it. No, nobody would say that about it. It encourages a very strong reaction. I can
1: totally understand why someone would say this is a stupid book. And it's got... I mean, it's got some sexual content quite early on that is abhorrent. It's you know, pretty gross. You know the bit I'm um, talking about. Can't I don't even, even feel please like Please do not can... make me call it to mind. Yeah, it's not okay. <laughs> it's so not but it, okay. But still, you know, <laughs> on my first reading in my early 20s, there's somebody, I don't like I'd seen comedy before and yeah. I'd seen art and I was like, this feels like halfway between those two things and yeah. I can't get my head around it. And, yeah, like some of the stuff is... Horrible. Yeah. Um,
0: let's talk Shall about, I, the, yeah, would you mind reading this okay. opening paragraph that you have referred to? Okay, so I'm about like 23, 24 and I read this. Before you do, I'm going to say this was written in 1963, just for some context. Yes. Because I think it's so, I think it's an incredibly progressive book for its time. For I when think it, so for too. For when it was written.
1: Because so I just wanted to put that... Time. no that's really good and in fact I mean we haven't even begun to talk about the story of the author which is that's next fascinating that is next fascinating yeah but yeah it's I think it's progressive as well I think um, I think this author shows equal contempt for both genders for all races like as in it, da, it is of a time but um, but there are female characters that are beautifully drawn they're not cliches at all All right after you <clears throat> A green hunting cap squeezed the top of the fleshy balloon of a head. The green ear flaps, full of large ears and uncut hair and the fine bristles that grew in the ears themselves stuck out on either side like turn signals indicating two directions at once full pursed lips protruded beneath the bushy black moustache and at their corners sank into little folds filled with disapproval and potato chip crumbs see i told you there was food i just didn't promise that you'd want to eat it straight up in the shadow under the green visor of the cap ignatius j riley's supercilious blue and yellow eyes i love the blue and yellow eyes looked down upon the other people waiting under the clock at the D.H. Holmes department store, studying the crowd of people for signs of bad taste in dress. Several of the outfits Ignatius noticed were new enough and expensive enough to be properly considered offences against taste and decency. Possession of anything new or expensive only reflected a person's lack of theology and geometry. It could even cast doubts upon one's soul. Ignatius himself was dressed comfortably and sensibly, the hunting cap prevented head colds, the voluminous tweed trousers were durable and permitted unusually free locomotion, their pleats and nooks contained pockets of warm stale air that soothed Ignatius, the plaid flannel shirt made a jacket unnecessary while the muffler guarded exposed Riley skin between ear flap and collar. The outfit was acceptable by any theological and geometrical standards, however obtruse and suggested a rich inner life he's so wonderful so i just read that and i was like well this isn't the hero of any book i've read before right how oh, you but i how, know that you love the next line like we talked about this before yes cuz it's just the <laughs> like i said it's just beautifully grotesque Shifting from one hip to the other in his lumbering, elephantine fashion, Ignatius sent waves of flesh rippling beneath the tweed and flannel, waves that broke upon buttons and seams. Thus rearranged, he contemplated the long while that he had been waiting for his mother. It's so great. I know, so I can understand why some people wouldn't have I mean, some people, I like poo jokes. You know, like, and I like... I don't know I like squeezing my husband's pimples like I don't I don't mind I don't mind embracing the gross and that's but this does more than that I feel
0: like you're reading that aloud to me and I feel like like I'm being strapped into a harness where I have to sit still and endure time with Ignatius, and it's yes. not—it's—it's it's, it's unpleasant because he's, he's a vile character in my yes. opinion.
1: But I am fascinated. It's like you, I can't. It's turn very away. compelling, isn't it? It's unbelievable. But do you? I mean, do you get just from that first section? You get like I said, like there's I feel like there's tremendous affection oh, yes. for the character. Yes. So even though. He's being described as disgusting. The author is doing, he's taking pains to, to make the description as rich and sumptuous as possible. I feel like this is a really
0: dumb connection to make, but it's just Homer Simpson.
1: It's well, yes, but don't you dare, of, but yes, it is. Right,
0: It's that same kind of trope where this person's a bit of a fool and has many opinions and is often wrong, but you can't help but feel affection for them.
1: Yes, yes. Because, you know, like it's almost a test. It's like, can you love Ignatius? Hmm. Can you love yourself at your worst? <laughs> That's too much to well, think about. If you about. look at yourself too critically, you feel like your own flesh ripples against buttons and seams. Of and course you think it does. of the food crumbs in the corner of your own mouth, and you think of the bristles in your own ear. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. can we love how flawed and hideous we are as human beings? Anyway, I feel I, I, I really love. I'm sorry, that's no, too that's much. Okay. Too much to take right now. It's all right, but I. Lo- it, it's so interesting because then when you know the story of the author, it's it, uh, it's just really interesting to it watch is. the way he describes all of these yeah unlovable characters. Well, context is everything, right?
0: So shall we provide some? Yes. so I've got it. I've got it all. You in do front the of potted history, want. absolutely. All right. So, a Confederacy of Dunces was written in 1963. It wasn't published until 11 years after the author died and he died by suicide. He was 31 years old. And his mother, um, bless her heart, um, found this manuscript, this sort of, you know, rank carbon copy manuscript and sent it to publishers all across the US and got rejection letter after rejection letter. But she was so, um, I guess, uh, what was she? She she was so determined. uh, Persistent, yes. Um, And so she ended up getting in touch with the American writer, Walker Percy, who was working at a university. And she pretty much just showed up on campus with this kind of um, manuscript and forced him to read it. And he writes the introduction into that book. And and so his introduction is pretty much this woman just kept showing up, forcing me to do something I didn't want to do. And it wasn't until I started reading that I realized there's something sort of miraculous in this manuscript. There's something untold. This, and, you know, and the same reaction you've had and certainly the same reaction I had is I've never read anything like this before. I've never had a main character who's so likeable, unlikable, likeable, unlikable. And, yeah, and that real kind of spotlight on – well, also he's mad, like – you know it. makes absolutely is mad. Abs- oh, absolutely. And yes. his opinions
1: are wild. But a and lot of people in this are yeah. like everybody. Oh, all of them are mad. Everybody's mum, lives are utterly oh, yeah. futile. And yes, and his mum's mad. And the po- policeman Mancuso is mad. Yeah, Mancuso. Mad so, and, that's and the and one. The, the, yeah, every. It's. Um, it is. Yeah, everybody's life is meaningless. Everybody's daily activities are futile. Yeah. It is. So it's a really interesting work to come out from someone who was obviously a troubled young man. Yeah.
0: And so I should also say that it eventually was published in 1980 and it won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction the year after. Like it was just so widely and critically uh, acclaimed after its release. But he, the author struggled to get anyone to pay attention to him and his manuscript when he was alive. And I think that obviously well, you know, a whole bunch of other mental health issues going mm. on. But um Yeah. He never lived to see how successful his manuscript became and how beloved.
1: Yes. As bonkers as it is. It is bonkers. You know what, I feel like it it actually feel whilst you're right to contextualize it by saying it's nineteen sixty three. Yeah. I think it's actually got a very modern feel. If you're a fan of something like BoJack Horseman or one of those, oh yeah, it actually yeah. reads like a modern animation. Yeah, that that like strange, you know, one foot in tragedy, one foot in comedy kind of vibe of your. You, I mean, I say yeah. BoJack, but there's other, you know, if you're a there's fan of even like Rick that. and Morty, it's that yep. that thing of just people. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's got a really animated feel. It's really hyper-real. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know? Go on. Fact.
0: What? In 2015, the Huntington Theatre Company in Boston staged it with Nick Offerman as <gasps> Ignatius.
1: No way! Yes way! Well, that's a delight. Isn't that there was, I mean, there was, a perfect fit? There was talk about making it into a film a few years ago and yes. I, really, I remember when I, when I heard that, you know, my fingers kind of clung to the edge of the table like, please don't mess this up because it was a precious thing. Text for me. So in Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman.
0: Nineteen eighty-two. Harold Ramis was going to make it with John Belushi. Passed away. No. John Candy. John Belushi. Don't want
1: you. I can imagine Candy doing it. Chris Farley, passed away. Oh, are you saying it's a curse? A bit. And then Nick Offerman's still healthy, isn't he? As far as we're
0: aware. uh, John Waters had divine to play mm. Ignatius. Really? Also died young. Oh, you've right? done a
1: lot of good research. Oh, yeah, this is Isn't what I, this do. Sh- am I Am I not a true fan if I you didn't are. know
0: these things? Well, you know the book better than I do. I know the research. Okay. That's all. And in 2005, Stephen Soderbergh, am I saying that right? Soderberg? Yeah, I never know Soderbergh or Soderbergh. Mm. Yeah. Let's say. It's the curse of readers because you don't hear the words said out loud. You just read them Absolutely. and invent the pronunciation. So we'll... Farrell was going to be Ignatius. Farrell. Lil- I'm comfortable Feral. with Ferrell. All right, yeah. And Lily Tomlin or Tomlin? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know what you're doing to me. <laughs>
1: Lily Tomlin, I know for sure. Lily um, Tomlin is was going to his be mom. his mum. Yeah. Will and Ferrell then- would have been. I mean, like he would have been. Uh, the problem is, Will Ferrell is too Will Ferrell. John C. Riley would have been. Now better. that is
0: a better. Peak. Same surname, probably related. But then Soderbergh gave up. Soderbergh. But John C. Riley is
1: twice his age. Now get mm. some young weirdo to do it. Not an old weirdo. 31-year-old i I love John, old C. Old I love John C. Riley though. He's a magician. Yeah. It's
0: the curly hair somehow. He just
1: looks but what like he, an Ignatius he, to me. What he does is not quite right face very well. Yeah. Like he looks ill at ease in a very comic way. So His whole book is that. Soderbergh gave up the project oh, yep. in 2013,
0: so that's a fair eight years after he started it. And his quote that I found on, yeah. the, on the internets, I think it's cursed.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, there's some lingering. So I interrupted you so much that we didn't get a role on that curse. That's but okay. yeah, like, well, like, well it's, like, it's that's been three, so many. That's three actors.
0: Well, if you count divine, that's four. That's four. Four actors who've passed away whilst he, being while they're groomed thinking of the role. That's it. yeah. That's it, and the author obviously passed away author. quite tragically. But
1: you know who lives on is Ignatius. I don't, I don't want to see it on screen. It's too beautiful as a book. Yeah. I'm happy with that. I'm very happy with that.
0: Um, I don't mean to hustle you, but shall we move on?
1: Move along. (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, Claire, could you please reveal the title and author of book two? Okay. Cat's Eye. Margaret Atwood. Yep. Thank you for choosing this. I'm so glad we get to talk about it. I can't believe
1: that you have such a strong relationship to this book as well because it's quite hard. Um, Margaret Atwood's been a big author for me yeah, and I couldn't quite remember which one had affected me the most. Mm. And I had this sort of vague idea that it was called Cat's Eye the one that I liked but I think it may have been the first that I read of hers right that's the one that stays with you often well but the thing is the sense that it was like a beloved book stayed with me but I went back and read it and I had there were huge sections that I didn't remember I had remembered the feeling yeah and I remembered a line off the front like the first page there is a line in there that is read it to me Oh Nat, I've got a really okay. I think I've got a slightly obsessive relationship with memory. I feel like um, I can't I can't quite explain it, but I'm just um, nothing. Nothing gives me anxiety like realizing I've forgotten an important memory of mine. So I've got a yeah, I definitely and you know like. Um, I, I guess I've got a sense that the more memories you have from your life, the more value you've got out of your life, hmm. and so the wow. more you forget, the more it doesn't really matter whether you were alive for that moment anyway. So I just I've got oh, a bit wait, of a, that turned dark real quick. Well, I'm sorry about that, but I do. Oh, I've, got, I've definitely. And um. Light oh, and shade. I remember when my little kitties, you know, two little. I've got two little ones, and I remember just really battling with that the first year of Penelope's life. Just going, she's not remembering any of this. What is the meaning of it? I don't know. Yeah, I just really were you very tired? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, but there's this beautiful line. This is in the on the first page, and this book is all about this woman recollecting her childhood and some just horrible stuff that happened. That's very everyday horrible stuff, but for a child, is the whole world. Yeah. So it's all about memory. Um, time is not a line, but a dimension, like the dimensions of space. If you can bend space, you can bend time also. And if you knew enough and could move faster than light, you could travel backward in time and exist in two places at once. It was my brother Stephen who told me that. When he wore his raveling maroon sweater to study in and spent a lot of time standing on his head so that the blood would run down into his brain and nourish it, I didn't understand what he meant, but maybe he didn't explain it very well. He was already moving away from the imprecision of words. But I began then to think of time as having a shape, something you could see, like a series of liquid transparencies, one laid on top of another. You don't look back a long time, but down through it like water. Sometimes this comes to the surface, sometimes that, sometimes nothing, nothing goes away. And so, like I read that in my early 20s and already I was like, yeah, that's memory. When you are in your 20s trying to think about something that happened when you were 6 it's like looking it's like looking down into the darkness of water and trying to get that thing to bob back up to where you can see it like it was I've never encountered a better description of what it's like to try and remember your childhood yeah and to be close to it in your 20s imagine
0: trying to do it now that we're 40
1: yeah well the so so I found I found the book interesting from that memory perspective when I was in my twenties and it's actually being written from the perspective of a woman, as far as I can guess she's in her fifties. Yeah, That's I what would it say feels too. like. She's in her fifties. And I remember yeah. it, you know, she talks about her grey hair and how she's wearing a tracksuit and how there's a retrospective of her art. So she she's returns got to her town. She's got her grandkids. Yeah. So I remember when I was in my twenties, that seemed she seemed impossibly old. I thought of her as an old woman. Yeah. And so when I was rediscovering this book in order to talk about it, because I was like, I'm sure it was one of my favourites. I'll read it again and try and remember why. Remember none of it. But it, but like, but I mean, like, so interesting because the book's all about memory. And it was, honestly, it was like, it was like every page was like a little memory bobbing back up again, kind of a bit fuzzy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. But what was really shocking is to realize that I'm virtually the age of this woman now. Yeah. So when I first read it, I found it interesting. Oh, uh, how nostalgic it must be to, fear, to be an old woman looking back on her past. And then I'm now what I once thought was an old woman. <laughs> Looking back at this book that I enjoyed when I was a young woman, I mean, it was just all too much of a head mess. Nat, you it was, don't have kids really... though. No, You're I not don't. That far. I am not as old as it. But to be honest, I started a bit late. I, she she had her kids young. Anyway, that's not the, that's not the point. The point is, I'm really only I'm like a decade off yeah. this woman that just seemed so old when I first read the book.
0: Yeah, but I think when we were twenty and thinking back to when we were six, well, I can remember. 14 or 15 years ago and now it's like oh I can remember 35 years ago <laughs> right right. and so that so well everything gets fuzzier I also think there's a limited capacity in one's memory box in, that lives inside one's brain I just let's just uh pretend um, there's I, a there's yeah. a finite uh, hard drive where you can yes. keep your memories and I feel like when I'm making some really good new ones something's got to go something's gonna go
1: okay so And I mean, they say that our brains have far greater capacity than we use them for. But yes, one of the really interesting things for me is um, I think I think there's quite a lot of evidence that cortisol affects the memory centre of the brain. And cortisol is your stress hormone. Mm. Um, uh, a lot of women I've talked to who have had children, and I don't think this happens as badly for the male partner you know if it's a heterosexual I don't I don't think the male partners have this memory loss the same way women do but I've you right off that year you don't really form new memories because you've got because you're tired enough and stressed enough mm. with the adjustment and I also think it's like a natural thing like it, it might just be part of natural selection that we don't remember the horror of the first year you know like that it just isn't a practical time to lay down memories because you know we come out of it with a sense of loving this little thing but we can't remember specifics. Thank goodness, so we'd never do it again. But I, um, but I also dumped old memories in that period. I came out of the end of the first sort of few years of parenthood, going, uh, uh, feeling quite panicked about how much I'd, how much I'd lost. Also, um, I have I deliberately expose myself to high stress in my work. So mm. I like to do difficult jobs that make me feel. Um, absolutely flooded with cortisol and I think that, you know, the fact that I'm often memorising a new five minutes and then doing a new five minutes in front of of a large audience, I actually think I've changed the way my brain deals with memory and I'm very, very good at short-term and I've actually, Mm -hmm. I used to be so good at remembering everything about my life, every name of every actor, every book I'd read and now I find myself at 42. My skill is short-term memory and I've actually had to let go of Of being a person with a good long-term memory. So have we gone too far from books? No, it's okay. Um, When we talk about... You have to rein me back in. It's fine.
0: This is fascinating to me. When we say, you know, one in, one out kind of policy... Yeah. um, Do they... Where do they go? Do they go to the deepest recesses and we can still recall them with a bit of effort? Or do they just disappear
1: this is uh, this i'm not sure about i don't know either i think they just um i honestly feel like they're um it feels like it feels like pictures drawn in ink that are being um exposed to more and more water ah so they kind of failing, you know like just and failing. so and so when you're really trying to remember something and sometimes that thing where somebody says you remember you know that thing Remember when you were thirteen and we went to the beach and that thing happens and you you'd forgotten it but you've almost got the shape of that memory there and yeah. you use their reminder to just sort of paint paint it back in sharpen the edges probably get some details wrong but you can kind of you can kind of sketch it back into existence but but it's not. Like this, yeah, man. I don't know. It's, I think memories are really fascinating area. Yeah, and I, I don't think of it as one in one out. I just think you need they just fade back you've only, a bit. You, it's like you've only got enough polish to keep this, this much, yeah, shiny and fresh. Maybe there's like a
0: bunch of digital mem- memories on the hard drive. Then you've got your VHS collection, but you don't, <laughs> have, a, you don't have a VHS player anymore. Yeah. Then you've got your beta, oh, man. and then you've got your slides. Slides, uh, yeah, and yeah, remember like, them, yeah, and then like the them. little cassettes that went in the video camcorder that was oh, like yeah, as big yeah, as yeah, your yeah, head, yeah, and so you can't access them because they just haven't been digitized, but they're still there. <laughs> and as soon as you
1: get that, uh, as soon as you get that camcorder, yeah, I wonder, yeah, I don't you, know, you know, like while we're on the topic, one of the very interesting things I read was simply that if you don't tell the stories. The memories don't remain, well, so you've that's got to. For sure, and we get a little bit busy, and we get a little bit on a treadmill, and we certainly we spend a lot of our downtime on our devices now. Yeah. So without um, without actually running through them, if you don't actually pop the slides in and send them through the um, cartridge every now and then, yes. they go, and we need to start doing that. Yeah, put the phone down, have a think about your childhood. Or don't. I mean, or read a book if, if it's as awful as this woman's read childhood. A book don't about think about it. Someone
0: else's childhood. Now, this book. Oh, it's so is, wonderful. Um, this book is feelings to me. So I don't. Ha- I don't necessarily have memories of the plot and the essay that I wrote when I studied it for feminist literature mm-hmm. um, in the nineties. And I, and I don't know what I, what my essay topic was, and I don't know what grade I got. But what I remember is the gut punch that is on every second page, of how. This woman goes through her childhood just being bullied. We'd call it
1: bullying now, but we just...
0: Yeah, we absolutely would.
1: It, yeah, there's it's a just bullying. bullying. For she it, never it. says bullying in no, this. Oh book. no, no, it's it, just not her relationship with this other girl. It
0: wasn't. It was just that. I mean, she describes it as friendship. This is how her friendships evolved when yes. she was eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, there's a great line impressive.
1: that's like you know something along the lines of I you know I I wish I'd experienced hate because hate is a clearer emotion unlike mm-hmm. love. This you know, like certain utter- sort of manipulation
0: and. Oof, meanness. It's like Mean Girls, but on steroids.
1: You know, but and, not even but without nothing, the outfits. It's not nobody. Does, it's not they're not physically torturing her, but it's It's, I don't know, it's emotional so... manipulation
0: of the highest order.
1: Yeah, and I've read so many books. I've, I've, I love a, I love a book that's horror, or I love a murder mystery, or you know, like I've read things where the stakes are higher. And this is just little girls. This is a relationship between little girls, and she's, and this, you know, this character is. Returning to her hometown, she doesn't live there anymore for his, this art retrospective, and every street she walks down brings back more memories. And it's it's just little girls with a really toxic friendship, mm-hmm. but it's it I, yeah like it it's yeah th- squeezed me Is that the, you know like yes. I felt I yep. felt made me feel so much more panicky than any suspense novel I've ever read. It's I wonder what it's like um, for male readers. Because it does feel, a a lot of it feels very specific to the... To the experience of a little girl. Because a lot of it is about learning to be a girl because this character spent a lot of time with her brother and the family on the road with sort of, I, I got the impression it was a sort of homeschooling situation. Yeah. When she starts at school, suddenly she has to catch up on how girls behave yeah. and get schooled by the other girls on what it's like to be a girl. Yeah. So you've got your cliques, you've got yeah. what you wear, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Yeah. Who you are and aren't allowed to be friends with. And I felt, I mean, I really, it was, even when I read it in my 20s, it felt very familiar and I'm sure it felt familiar to everyone, but I did grow up in a really sort of weird little hippie school. I had two brothers. We lived in the bush and the school, my primary school was very small and even my high school was pretty small. And I just, yeah, I I remember, um, yeah, I feel like I didn't know how to behave like a little girl as quickly as other little girls did. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all about social There is cues, no way, but it? yeah, social cues. You, so I just well you didn't... pick
0: it up because it's all around you and everyone's wearing the same things or talking mm. about the same things and suddenly you figure you figure out how to fit in. Mm. For the most part, that's really what it is. But um in this instance, yeah, she kinda walks in blindly, makes friends with whoever she makes friends with, they're not bad girls. I don't just... think I don't
1: think they're bad girls. I think they're just I just think kids are animals. Yeah. <laughs> they just are. You know, like I think kids are like you know, a pack of stray dogs or, a, or or chickens in a hen house, you know, like a leader emerges and a leader behaves how they want to lead, you know, like yeah. how they want to behave, don't you? Yeah. I would describe them as cats. I mean all of us. <laughs> We're all a bit like that, aren't we? Oh, but there's you know there's
0: there's kindness and there's meanness and there's a great deal of meanness in these characters, but yeah. Um, but we do have the unique perspective of um, the main character Elaine looking. So she's in her fifties. She's looking back as she's sort of wandering around the town, and these are her memories. So we've got the whole philosophical co- conversation that we've already had about memory and do we trust it and how well do we trust it. So we're looking it. We're looking at it through her eyes. So we have to just trust that she um that she's. Accurately representing what happened yeah, to her. Yeah, who knows, There's yeah. There's a great deal of trauma that she's retelling. So something happened. Well, there is a big, time
1: there is a really horrible big incident, isn't it? Yeah. Is
0: that the one when she falls in the lake or is there another one? Yeah, when one? she,
1: yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, many. But when, this, yeah. but I think what some. Um, when they when they make her walk out onto the ice. Yeah. And she falls in and when she falls in they run away. And they and run away, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, look, this book and Confederacy of Dunces too. they're both books that have kind of made me take notice of the fact that I'm reading a book. Oh, that's
1: a really interesting. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that
0: I can pick up a book and start reading and then before I know it, I've finished it. I'm like, oh, that's a nice story. I'll return that to the library and borrow the next one. Okay. And then there are books that you start reading and you're like, holy, what am I reading? What is this? I've, I've never read anything like this before. i Where suddenly... it feels like a like magic I'm... trick? Yes. Mm. I feel like I'm being – I'm not aware of the writing. That's bad writing. As soon as I'm like, yes. oh, wait, that sentence is clunky. That's a weird yes. way to say that. That's yes. bad writing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking – about I'm really aware that I'm being sucked into this story and I'm I'm not paying attention to where I am on the tram is it my stop I don't know. Mm. I'm not paying attention to what time am I supposed to have dinner ready. I'm not paying attention to where else I need to be or what bedtime is. I'm suddenly very aware that I am reading a really good book. And it's, like, one of life's greatest moments. And so making this podcast and having people tell me about their favourite books, I'm kind of drawn into these moments of other people's lives. And this book does the same thing because I'm this drawn... This was meaningful in, to you too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, this this book too, absolutely. Yeah, I think, again, if someone asked me about mine, this would be very close. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. this... Yeah, look, you, you said three. You only let me have I know, three. I'm the, a monster. We talked to be Oh... The things I wouldn't <laughs> the let you bring. difficulty of choosing three. Look, there's
0: luggage limits on the light plane that totally. gets us to the island. So yeah, it was totally three understand. only.
1: But I have no regrets about choosing this. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Do you want to read me something from it? Oh, well, this is, Are you a, gonna be okay? this is a section that I would not, I guess I wouldn't have noticed in my early 20s. And yeah. this is the amazing thing of reading a book 20 years later when your life circumstances have changed. And yeah. this is... This is how it goes. It's the kind of things this age do to one another or did then, but I'd had no practice in it. As my daughters approached this age, the age of nine, I watched them anxiously. I scrutinised their fingers for bites, their feet, the ends of their hair. I asked them leading questions. Is everything all right? Are your friends all right? And they looked at me as if they had no idea what I was talking about, why I was so anxious. I thought they'd give themselves away somehow. Nightmares, moping, but they're There was nothing I could see, which may have only meant they were good at deception, as good as I was. When their friends arrived at our house to play, I scanned their faces for signs of hypocrisy. Standing in the kitchen, I listened to their voices in the other room. I thought I would be able to tell. Or maybe it was worse. Maybe my daughters were doing this sort of thing themselves to someone else. That would account for their blandness, the absence of bitten fingers, their level, blue-eyed gaze. Most mothers worry when their daughters reach adolescence, but I was the opposite. I relaxed. I sighed with relief. Little girls are cute and small only to adults. To one another, they are not cute. They are life-sized. It's so... I've, oh, I've, I've got two little girls and I'm... Yeah. How much will they let you see? How much will they tell you what's really going on? Like, are you actually able to help them? I worry about their resilience. That's all I want. I just want them to be resilient and I think they're not... I. You know, my oldest but ones resilient, about... and you made it through. <sighs> yeah, I was. So did yeah, I. I was. Oh gosh, I hope I've passed that on. But I do see I've got a daughter about to go into school. For goodness sakes, I mean, what great timing to reread this monstrosity of a book. Sorry about that. As I am nervous about my little four and a half year old social skills as she goes into, like she doesn't bounce back from hurts, and she, she's a little bit too open she wants hugs from people she's just met and sometimes they don't want to give them to her and yeah. that's really yeah sometimes it's not okay she's, to hug strangers <laughs> no she's absolutely no it's absolutely strangers right to refuse my daughter the hug <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but my point is she's a little bit she might be a little bit fragile and um, I'm worried but she'll learn and she's got good modeled behavior from you that's right I'm afraid of nothing that yeah. And also everything. <laughs> Jeez, reading is a hazard, isn't it? I've, I, honestly, I've been reading things that didn't make me feel as much lately and it's been really interesting to have you send me back down this rabbit hole because of course I had to reread it before coming and then just to just to be like, oh that's right. Good books make you just feel every yep. cell of your body feels and it's That's exactly not, what I'm saying. It's not always helpful. Like there's sometimes when I'm a bit busy and I'm like, I'd shut the feelings off, thank you. There's plenty of books where
0: you don't have to think and don't have to have any feelings. I well, can give you a list of those, but this is not about that. Well, actually it is because the last book gives you no feelings. Oh, no no feelings. God, I have so many questions about that. No, no. just one moment, please. Back okay. to the script. Claire, could you
1: please reveal the title and author of book three? Mm-hmm. Me talk pretty one day, David Sedaris. <laughs> This book didn't give you feelings. It, my only feelings, admiration. This book exists in my head. My feelings. I'm, th- this is the beautiful thing. You will never find the word feel in this book. He doesn't oh. talk about feelings. He doesn't. He
0: is well. No, he's, he's no, no. He's. You're right. He's I'm, observing and relating things that have happened. But I have
1: all the feelings reading it. Ab- I, I know. Like I absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, it does pull at you, doesn't it? But it's. Yeah. Um, he is so beautifully disconnected, like he does this lovely pullback from the action. I'm not saying that, I mean, like he is obviously a man um, <laughs> who feels a lot of things. But, like, the book, that's the comedy of it. The comedy of it is just that it's all obs- observation and no feelings. And it's so what he, um, this is actually really interesting because David Sedaris, I found at a really good time. I'm trying to think. I, I don't think I found him until I was in my early 30s. And I'd started in comedy and um, I mean, he's, I, I'd heard that he was, you know, like that he's this acclaimed humorist, but it took me a while to get around to reading him. And when I did, I remember having a book um, and it could have even been this one. And it, I, I remember the first book I had, I had to, I started it and put it down, <gasps> 28 I was living back home with my parents. That's right. I remember it on that bedside table. Picked it up, couldn't quite do it, put it down. Just, it just didn't grab me. And it is really interesting with a humorist's, you've got you've to get into a humorist style. Like it, do, it doesn't necessarily hit you first time. Yep. And then when I went back, I was like, oh, yeah, I know this guy. And suddenly I couldn't stop reading him. But it's so interesting that my, I just didn't vibe with Sidaris the first try. Let's not tell him. Oh, do you know what? I mean, like, I don't want to spoiler alert. I've had the most wonderful... When I was pregnant with my first daughter, I wasn't working very much. Like, I'm talking proper sort of eight, nine months pregnant, ready to burst, not working, obviously. And my management gave me a call and they were like, "Uh, David Sedaris is doing Hamer Hall here at the Arts Centre he would like someone to introduce him. Would you like to introduce David Sedaris? And you did. Oh, my God, I did. <laughs> and he was a delight. You know, like he was, I mean, anyone who's ever met him will say he's a very lovely man. He's really generous. He looks you in the eye. He seems interested in you. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a really. What a treat. Man, it was a really lovely treat to be backstage with somebody that I admire so much. Anyway. And you called your daughter David just in honour that. Yeah, that's of that. right. That's yep. her middle name. Yeah. So back, back to when I first discovered him. Yep. I just remember I was uh, – it took me a long time to be at ease with what I did for a living. So I really enjoyed comedy when I was an underdog and it was my hobby and it was like my release valve. And then I turned 30 and, um, and suddenly I was employed to do it and um, I, I reckon I was – Probably just to use a cliche, I think I was probably feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. You know, like I got, I went from hobbyist to professional a bit faster than you should. That's not a brag. That's just like a. This is how it the happened. way events happened, and um, and I yeah, gosh, I just remember, I remember David Sidaris being like medicine, mm. and it's because if you are feeling too much and doubting too much. The way he talks—I mean, he'll—he'll he'll tell a story about being an absolute loser. You know, he'll—he'll t- he'll oh, tell yeah. us. In this book, there's this—you know—him talking about his attempts to be an artist, but he'll talk about it with such detachment and turn it into such amazing comedy yep. that he has power over the situation. Do yes, you know what I mean? Like absolutely. he's saying, "Here is an anecdote where I am rubbish, but." The act of turning it into an amazing chapter in a book yeah. is just... It's his version of what happened. So, that yes, yeah, so that was like medicine. David Sedaris, reading David Sedaris is just like it takes... It's, honestly, it's like Panadol, you know, like it takes pain away. Yeah. It's so good <laughs> for me. It's reading lo- is the It's best. such
0: escapism. Oh, yeah. Yes. Those stories are amazing.
1: I was rereading did it. Did you did you instantly like him or do you know yes. that thing that right so you instantly got it cuz initially I was like who does this think guy think he is. You know what I mean? I just I was just like I don't I don't know why. But he... I'm not
0: funny and I'm not coming at it from that kind of mm. like I can't
1: Is that what it is? I don't know. It? I'm not
0: I can't relate to him as a person. Oh, his you know, upbringing is different to mine with different age. Like I couldn't kind of relate to what he was doing as a storyteller. I'm just a reader. And so as a reader, I just loved the entertainment. I loved the storytelling. I loved the kind of autobiographical, observational. He's, he's just so funny. Massive family, seven siblings, you know, father madly into jazz building yes, computers. Yes, yes. You know.
1: It's so good. Yeah, and
0: I'm a big fan of Amy Sedaris too. So every time oh. he
1: talks about Amy, I was like, oh. It's well, like- I was an Amy connoisseur well before I read David oh really oh, yeah yeah oh yeah and I loved flipped, Amy I did you way. I mean Strangers with Candy I watched that all through my 20s that's yeah. the most that is I mean <laughs> 20 years old that show and it's still as good as anything anyone's ever made today like it's so good Amy Sedaris comic genius yes yeah, she is so I, yeah and it is really fun when you read about it it's like and me and my sister Amy went down to the pet store and you're yeah. like I know her yeah right exactly yeah. I've seen her on tv yeah yeah Anyway, so medicine. What about his, Sedaris is my medicine. What about
0: the story with his brother who swears like anyone's business and speaks gangster, and then his dad is this very prim and proper kind of person, and yet he and his brother, his brother doesn't get into trouble for swearing yep. and talking in this very strange, <laughs> very strange
1: way. It's <laughs> funny? Dad, I don't remember that chapter. Oh, gonna, that's, oh, that this is, is I'll a get back ripper into of world. a story, an absolute ripper of a story. It is. The great thing about Sedaris is yeah, you can forget You can forget an entire story. Oh, yeah. You think you remember the book and then you're like, oh, that's right. Anyway, well, so they're good for a reread. Yeah.
0: I was like, is that in Naked or is that in Me Talk Pretty? Yeah. Like which anthology, which one is that in again? Oh. Because it's, I mean, this one, Me Talk Pretty One Day, is half of his childhood and the other half is him as an adult living in France. Yes. With his partner, Hugh. And so you're like, okay, well, that's that book. And Naked is a different set of stories from a different yes. time in his life and Squirrel Seeks Chipmunk is a different... Different set of essays. Yet once you've read four or five of them, they're all I don't I can't differentiate which story. No, I can't remember which, which book. And, and you've heard so much of him on the radio and on yes, This American Life that's right. Yes, so yes, yes.
1: It's all over the place. It is all over the place. And I I feel like, um I usually I think I still I'm not I don't completely approve of a book that's just unrelated chapters put together. I'm like <laughs> well if there's no if the if the chapters could go in any order or any different or be exchanged with other books, then why are those ones together in that order in that book? do you know what I mean? Yeah you know like so I sometimes
0: think David Sedaris knows why but I, I think, think he, he does I've read know so why. many I'm just confusing them all. I
1: think he does know why but yeah I will st- get um um you know like it's a real sort of celebrity collection of essays thing where you're like, you get to the end, you're like, well, they weren't all on the same theme. It didn't open with a question and close with a question. They I were love just how slapped together. I don't, I don't like it. I love how you read.
0: Speaking of reading, okay, what are you reading at the moment?
1: Well, actually, I'm halfway through a Confederacy of Dunces, but <laughs> what was I reading right before that? Um, I just finished Pachinko. Oh yep. Mm-hmm. What an epic tale. What? A, there's no other word. Epic. Yep. And it's really interesting because we booked tickets to go to Japan in April next year. Pachinko is an amazing story about Koreans living in Japan, and that has that has long been and continues to be um, a a difficult life because um, Koreans have never felt entirely. Yeah, Koreans have often not felt entirely welcome in Japan. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a real you know there was certainly um, in the entire. Um, Timeline of Pachinko, they are thought of as second-class citizens by the Japanese. And so you leave the book feeling very so sympathetic towards you're, certain absolutely. characters and like sympathetic well, towards I, others. This story was about the Koreans, so why are the Japanese so mean? But I got over it very quickly. Yeah, because you're going there. Also, Yeah, because I love Japan. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a great read. What is the, actually, what's slated for the next read, what's sitting on my bedside to be picked up, is The Man Who Mistook His Wife's Head for a Hat. I'm oh, going to yeah. reread that. That's beautiful. Oliver Sacks. That's yes. right. Yeah, Oliver yeah. Sacks. It's nonfiction yep. for anyone who's curious. I'm, I've non nonfiction, but I've taken a big departure from. Like I, I was, I just sort of noticed that I was only reading nonfiction for a while. Yep. And um, and so I've forced myself back to fiction and loved it. How are you choosing what to read? How am I choosing? Um, I oh, I had an amazing conversation on the Bake Off set. Oh, yeah, actually, um with um w- one of the um one of the Foxtel bigwigs and Maggie Beer. and it was the three of us, um, just <laughs> private book club, just we just got into a passionate chat about it, and then I wrote a little list on my phone after that conversation. I've been working through a lot of those titles, yep, yeah and um, and the last one there's two more, there's two more that I've. I've got on the list that I haven't read yet and they um they I just ordered them for Christmas presents for my best friend and my mother because I'm like well then I can borrow them <laughs> also I could go to the library babe yeah but like yeah I was just like well I know these are going to be great books so yeah my mum and my best friend can get them and I'll and I'll just I'll let them know that I'm First on the borrow list. Yeah, you're on the reservation list. What mm. are those books? Uh, Celeste Ing. Oh, yep. fires everywhere. you still haven't read that. Fantastic. Yep, still haven't read it. Yeah, um, and um, our souls at night. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Can't wait. Make can't sure wait you to read them both. Read that before you watch the movie. Oh, I'm not going to. Re- yeah, I I may not ever watch the movie. I'm not. I have nothing. Oh, but against. it's Jane Fonda. Okay, right. Okay, I'll watch the movie. <laughs> One final question. Yeah. Where are you when you're reading? bed. Always? No, planes. Planes. Oh, it's been a real, um, um, it's, yeah, I've always just um, worked or watched something or played games, like I love a game on my phone on a plane. Yep. And then This year, as part of my embracing fiction, and I do tend to hit the bed pretty tired because I have little kids and my work is generally at night. So it means I don't get through books. So I was like, I'm going to have to, you know what it was? It was just that I was in the middle of one that was an absolute ripper Mm -hmm. and I tore through it on the plane. And at the end of it, and I'm not going to be, I'm not proud of this, but 50% of the feeling was absolute smugness that everyone else was being a complete like device slave and I was like look at me reading a book but also the book was amazing and I finished it just as like descent you know as we hit descent I finished it just in time and I, it was so good and I'm like I'm all over books on planes now yeah it was a feeling no, of triumph no kindle no phone no work just read a good book on a plane and it the time flies and you feel so much better about the time at the end of that. whatever what was the book <laughs> um that was actually The Dry by Jane Harper. Oh, it is a murder mystery yes. set in Australia. And the Australian Outback is like the star yeah. of the book. And it was so, you know, it's one of those ones where you're like, what happened? who done it? Oh, my God. And so you get <laughs> right into it. Yeah. And I think the next one I read on a plane was, um, gosh, I can't wait to see your face when I say this one, if I can remember what it is. Um Eleanor Oliphant is oh, perfectly fine. It's beautiful. Okay, great. Great. Yeah, yeah, that was another one that I ripped through yeah. on a plane. So. I just read the third Jane Harper book. Oh, so. I finished it yesterday. I gave Do you have
0: more Jane I Harper stories? Yeah, right,
1: because um, I'm going to read the next one next because I gave it to my mum for her birthday and she knows I'm next one to borrow it. So can you sense a pattern developing in my gifting? Yep, I got oh. it. <laughs> so, and I was actually, honestly, I was thinking about getting the third one for her in addition to Our Souls at Night. Oh. Because, again, I just want to read it. I'm terrible. What a horrible daughter. I need are to give kidding? her something I don't want to borrow off her.
0: No, you're gifting books and you're sharing them and then you share the reading experience by discussing yeah, them Yeah, because it's her. better when
1: you can talk about it exactly. with someone. Right? And with your mum too. Yeah. Yeah. So are best. you saying I should read Our Souls at Night before giving it to her so we can discuss it immediately? Look, just don't crack the spine. So there's no evidence that you've read. It. That's <laughs> Except my... me going, how are you up to? I'm up to three years, <laughs> That thing where that thing happens. <laughs> yeah. Claire, what are you reading at the moment? Um, you were trying to wrap up. Just tell me what you're reading at um, the moment. I'm reading an Agatha
0: Christie. Oh,
1: <gasps> I love you so much. How good is a murder mystery, though? Honestly, I oh, do. I do love a puzzle.
0: I do love a little brain okay. puzzle
1: for a reading situation. Well, we're going to wrap this up, but we're going to talk puzzle books as you walk me down the to the front oh, door. Sure thing. That is right up my alley. Oh,
0: good. I'm glad. It was a recommendation from a colleague, so oh yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. It's a good, smart it.
0: one. Thank you for joining me on your desert island.
1: Nat. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) You can read this episode's show notes, including a list of all the books we discussed on our Goodreads page. You can find that on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au. Just look for the read page. I'd also love to hear about your Desert Island books. You can tweet at Melb Library with the hashtag Desert Island Books and let me know the books that you simply cannot live without. You can download previous Desert Island Books episodes in your favourite podcasting app or at SoundCloud or iTunes. Simply search for Melbourne Library Service. Happy reading!